This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Mike McDermott is CEO and co-founder of FreshBooks, the number one accounting software in the cloud designed exclusively for service-based business owners and independent professionals with more than 20 million users worldwide. Mike has spent the last decade making accounting software accessible to small businesses. He's author of Breaking the Time Barrier, which helps professionals better price their services and has seen more than 350,000 downloads since its release in 2013. Since its inception, FreshBooks has scaled to almost 300 employees and is consistently recognized as one of Canada's best places to work, which is why I invited Mike onto the show. In this episode, we talk about how he has created a workplace culture in which his employees don't have to wear what he calls a work face, where they can feel safe to bring their whole selves to work. We discuss some of the creative culture hacks, as he calls them, that Mike has developed to build an environment that breeds empathy. Some examples. Every hire starts by working in customer service for a month. Everyone can reward another employee with a gift card for embodying the core values of the organization. People are invited to go on blind dates for coffee with people in the company that they don't know. And team members are trusted to use their own judgment and structure their time the way they want, as long as they're accomplishing work goals. These are some of the things that we've talked about uh, in this episode in describing Mike's approach at FreshBooks, which is indeed a fresh take on leadership and culture, and it's been proven successful in the employee and customer loyalty that it breeds. I hope you like the Work and Life podcast, and if you do, I'd so much appreciate it if you would rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you're listening, wherever you pick up your podcasts, so others are more likely to find and enjoy it too. Now, without further ado, get set to listen to and learn from the wisdom, the experience of a progressive CEO from north of the border. It's Mike McDermott. Welcome, Mike, to Work and Life. Uh, Stu, thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. So let's just start. Uh, Not everybody listening is familiar with what FreshBooks is. What is it? And why did you start this company? Excuse me. Well, um, FreshBooks is, uh, I I think of it as ridiculously easy to use invoicing uh, and accounting software. So uh, we try to make it really straightforward for people who don't know anything about accounting 
to stay on track with their financials, to easily create and send invoices, track expenses, get the basic reporting they need so they're set up for tax time. I like to say if you invoice, you need fresh books. And, uh, you know, we're available on your mobile phone and your, your, your laptop computer or your desktop computer. Um, so you would probably want us, and how I got into this was I was running a small design firm uh, it was back uh, in the early 2000s, and I accidentally saved over an invoice. I, I had been using Word and Excel to bill my clients and said there must be uh, – there's just got to be a better way to do this. And that better way uh, was something that I chose to build. So I, I uh, got so frustrated. You, hang on one second, Mike. You saved over an invoice? Is that what you said? Yeah. I, I um, To get a little more specific um, – if, if you've ever sent an invoice to somebody else, and many people out there have, you know, often you'll just put it together in, in Microsoft Word or Excel or you know, a Google Sheet or something like that. And uh, the best way to create your next invoice is to open up an old one and just swap out the client information go on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, uh, the, if you do that, there's some really important step. You need to rename the file. And I, I didn't do that, so I took you know wrote, overwrote the old information saved the files and okay. lost the information and that, that now was I get it for, <laughs> all right impetus for starting this company it's it's often mistakes that lead to innovation right it is yeah and it's something that's just so frustrating you figure you got to deal with it so so what did you, what did you do uh, after you learned of your error well. I'll tell you, I, I I didn't think too dim- deeply about it. I just started doing something. I said, you know, why don't I why don't I build something to build my clients? And that's that's how we started out. I had my small firm, and I built something that I could create and send and uh, present an invoice to my clients and, and do that online, which at the time was was pretty novel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, this this is the work and life show that you're on, Mike. This is not. Um, accounting uh, 101 uh, <laughs> that we're teaching here. And, you know, the reason that I wanted to talk with you and, and invited you to the show is not so much to talk about how great your accounting software is, which I gather it is. Um, it's really to talk about what has made FreshBooks uh, a great place to work and how that relates to your your business philosophy. So can you give us... Uh, the essence of what you understand to be that philosophy and, you know, the secret sauce that makes fresh books so good. Yeah. So, so my philosophy is you take care of the team, team takes care of the customers and the customers take care of the business. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that is the order of operations. Uh, It might be different in a different business, but we do, uh, we're a software company. Uh, we serve a lot of end customers, and if I want people to be super motivated to try and have the empathy for our customers, whether it's serving them on a phone call or developing software for them, mm-hmm. I, I really think that starts with me having empathy for them and trying to think about, you know, how do we build the best experience for you here at work <clears throat> so that you can then go and build the best experiences for our customers? And we call that, um, we have a, a credo around executing extraordinary experiences every day. We call it 4 E. And that is what we try to do. And so we try to do it for our customers, but it really starts inside the building. Mm-hmm. So you're not one who subscribes to the notion of uh, clients and customers first. I, um, it's funny, you know, by, by serving our team and creating the conditions for them, I think they take that orientation, right? So 
uh, we create the conditions where they're well served. They're not worried about, you know, do I have the equipment I need and you know, do I like the people around me? And so all their energy is turned to how do we best serve our customers? And, and we win a, a lot of customer service awards on the service side. Uh, I could go into detail there. Uh, but we also, you know, are sort of known as the best product for the customer segments that we serve as, you know, determined by other people, just like, you know, great places to work is determined that we're mm-hmm. a great place to work. And so, um, I, I believe all of these, you know, demonstrations of excellence and high quality uh, start with the understanding of, hey, let's take care of the team. Mm-hmm. That lets the team, you know, focus on the customer. And if we do that, then then the uh, the, the end result will be, uh, you know, a, a healthy and thriving business. Now, be- before we get into the specific practices that make up, uh, you know, the the recipe of the secret sauce that you have concocted. Uh, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about how you learned to adopt this mindset as, as a founder. Like, where, did you, where did you pick this up? How did you come to understand that if, if we take care of the team first, then everything else is going to be okay? Well, it's interesting. Is I mean, I guess the way I look at it is um, uh, I'm, I'm very customer focused. So this is you know this business grew out of a business which grew out of a business. And I've been following my nose and you know basically evolving one business from another to now I run this you know uh, sort of material software business. Um, along the way, uh, you know, on a personal note, I'm very customer focused. And so I, I think the the way to think about it would be like I actually see our team here and our employees as customers of mine in a way. Mm. Uh, and so again, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the conditions are where they're going to produce their best work, um, and uh, you know, and and marry that, you know, and, and part of that is actually helping to to firmly acquaint them with our end customer. So uh, it's not about just like hey, you know. It's really not about the perks. It's really not about um, the stuff. I, I mean, I think we we are we try to be generous there, but you know, I, I don't think that's the secret sauce. Um, you know, I think that probably the most important thing that we do, and I think of this as an aid of our team, is everybody spends their first month in customer service. And so, why do we do that? Well. We do that for a couple of reasons. So first of all, it's, it's an onboarding program a month long. And we, you know, in that first week, we teach you about our products and by the, and the company and uh, a variety of you know, our history and a variety of other things. But, you know, by week two or even a bit in week one, you're starting to serve customers. So you're learning our, and to do that, you need to learn our product. So we teach you our product, you get to know our customers. And by the end of the month, you know, our product, our customer and our culture. And it doesn't matter what department you're in or how senior you are in the organization. Everybody starts there. And mm-hmm. the byproduct of that is, you know, you're really set up to make good decisions because our customer and our product um, are non-academic for you. Like you understand mm-hmm. what we do. You're living those we, relationships. Yeah, what we do, what we do well, you know, where we have room to improve. And so you put an engineer in, you know, customer service for a month and they come out of there and they're like, we need to fix you know, this report over here, whatever it is. And, and, um, and, and because I spoke with, you know, Sally in Missouri and, and she needs this to be better. And so, uh, so you get, you get a couple of things out of that. You get the understanding of product and uh, the customer and the culture, but you also get, uh, and I think this is a gift. Cause it's a huge investment that we make. You know, a lot of companies would say that's, you know, it's nuts. Why would you spend a month there? But, but 
people also leave that month. And if you didn't know what the mission of the company was or why we did what we did, Mm -hmm. I don't need to tell you by the time that month is over because you've spoken with the people that we help and and they need us. And by the way, they're wonderful. Our customers are, you know, wonderful. You worry about, you know, picking up the phone and somebody being upset with you. And I'll just tell you, that's like, you know, one in 1000 for the calls we get. It is largely, You know, hey, I mean, because we're talking to people who are running their own business. They're competent. They're busy. And if you are competent and you can help them, like, they're just glad to speak with you. We answer the phone without putting you through an automated attendant. Like, you're talking to somebody live. That person is competent. That's a good experience for the customer. So so I'll bet um, that you you have a good uh, filter there, too. If if somebody, you know, after a month realizes, wow, this is too intense or I'm not a right, you know, good fit for this, then you have uh, – uh, a mechanism, you know, by which people are getting a very realistic preview of the what the organization's all about, and you probably have some some useful uh, turnover there of people who don't think they're going to be a good fit. Is that does that happen, or am I just speculating here? I think um, it more goes the other way. I'm sad to say, which is like, hey, we thought you were great, and it turns out maybe oh. you're cynical, and you know you actually can't do this with a whole heart. You're you're kind of faking it, and that's not going to last. So mm-hmm. why, why don't we help you leave now? Um, oh. you know, I, I think by and large, once people are in, they're like, hey, this is never never land. Like I can't believe there's a place like this. So that, anyways, that's been more the experience. So sometimes we'll find we we just didn't do a great job assessing somebody prior to coming in and mm-hmm. you know we use it as a um, an opportunity to say hey sure. you know no harm done you're going to be very successful somewhere else no doubt but you're not a fit for what what we're trying to do in terms of how we want to serve people or interact with each other so i wonder if we could turn our attention mike to what exactly you do particularly in terms of investing in the life of the employee, so you know, they got this. They got this one month orientation period, which is a good filtering mechanism. People can see what you know what the philosophy is come to life, and they can they can be in it, and uh, and you can help to see, help to see whether or not they're a good fit. What is it beyond that first month that you do that you feel is high impact in terms of? really uh, investing in the people who work in your company as human beings? Well, I, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's I guess there's a, a bunch of squishy things. I'm trying to think of more concrete stuff. Squishy's okay. Um, we like squishy yeah. on this show. So, so maybe this is a little more philosophical again, but mm-hmm. maybe I'll take you down another path, which is, you know, what I believe is, you know, for our business – leadership capacity is actually like the rate limiting factor. Okay. So we're, you know, we're, you know, more than 300 people today. We're hiring about 50 people right now. If we can get them in the door, it's just hard to find the talent we need. And and that's kind of what it comes back to. It comes back to, you know, talent. And so the way I think about what we do once you're in is it starts with the leaders. And to the best of my ability, you know, we are looking for leaders and uh, you know, to join my team and, and to, to build more leaders, because I believe, I believe that that's, that's kind of the job. We work in an industry, software here in Toronto, uh, Canada. Um, it's a relatively newer industry. And so we're, we're in sort of, you know, Silicon Valley is three generations of software company old. We're, we're in a, a market that's one, one generation old. Hmm. 
And so we're bringing people in, and, and, and we think of the world of, like, let's get people in with potential, ideally experience, but, but also we have the expectation that we're, we're building you once you get here. Uh, and we want to hire people who want to grow and develop, and mm-hmm. so that's part of what we look for on the way in. And then we're, we're going to challenge you, right? So we want you to have, you know, to be led by and be on projects and involved with things where you are, like, you cannot get comfortable here. And if you're, you know, you're not growing or you're getting stagnant, like you're probably, you know, not long for the, the world at, at FreshBooks. Um, and so where I'm going with all this is I, I sort of believe it's our responsibility to constantly be developing leadership capacity. And there's good ba- business rationale for this is because, you know, people uh, generally want to learn and grow and develop. And um, you need leaders to do that. And if they are growing and developing, they're generally – in that, if they're in that the right place, the balance between being uncomfortable and like you mm-hmm. know confident, um, they're actually probably performing at like sort of peak levels, and um, and then that's kind of infectious, and they'll they'll encourage other people to join the company. We have a lot of people who employees who refer people who are fresh bookers who refer other people to join the company. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, in our industry, it's it's um, it's quite. Um, Oof. Uh, competitive would be a bit of an understatement for, for talent. So people are trying to rip people out of here all the time. And, mm. uh, you know, I, I don't want that to happen. At least certainly not with our, our good folks. If, you know, they're performing well. So if they're really having a good time and they're growing, like, why would they go? Um, and then, by the way, if they really run the cycle through, they're being built by a leader who then turns them into a leader and they can go and build more leaders for us. So, mm-hmm. so that's, that's kind of the virtuous cycle. And, um, I feel like as a, a company that's growing and uh, achieving scale in a new industry in a large town, like we have, uh, you know, almost like a civic responsibility to, uh, to to sort of build for the next generation. You know, in the future, we'll probably we'll just hire people who have some of this capability. But we come at it from a point of view of, hey, that's going to be hard. Uh, there are times when we need to augment and we actually, you know, we hire and relocate people, you know, for leadership roles where we can't get what we need locally. Uh-huh. But then we're looking for people who are going to build us more leaders in time and more people who are capable of, uh, you know, sort of carrying on, um, you know, the, so I can, you know, the, the business. I, I can see well how that would be attractive to people who uh, who are engaged and excited about being challenged and, uh, you know, continual growth in their careers, as, of course, many, many, many people are, not everyone, um, how how was the way you approach your relationship with your employees, how do you think about their lives beyond work, whatever they do in, with their families and their community life, for their own personal, you know, mental, physical, emotional health? Um, spiritual growth. How do those factors figure into your uh, your philosophy and the practices that embody it? Yeah, uh, we can talk about a, a few things, but I, I think you know, for me, it starts with um, I, I have this just great desire that you know, let's build a world with no work face, right? No I, work I face. To, yeah, I, I want you to bring your whole self to work and just be able to be yourself. And so we have, um, I think, a pretty good track record of, you know, hiring people who are just themselves and creating an environment where you can just be yourself. And so, um, you know, what that means is sometimes you need to bring, you know, baggage from outside work into work. And, you know, we have to understand that and support you. And 
Um, you know, and, and we do that in a variety of ways. Um, yeah, that, tell us, and, and if you could provide an example, that would be great, yeah, too. Yeah, no, no, I'll, I'll get into some of that here. So, um, you know, so how do we go about doing that? So first of all, um, I, I think, you know, like just this whole notion of work-life balance, let me just say um, I don't really believe in it. <laughs> Nor do I. Um, yeah. I think it's about, you know, do you love what you do and do you have energy for that? And uh-huh. can, we, can we help you with that? So we, we actually have a value, we call it passion, but how it's defined is probably more interesting, which is, um, you know, we love what we do and we're constantly working on our craft. If we weren't doing it here, we'd be doing it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we look for that attribute in people because... Passion for whatever it is that they do. Yeah, self-learning and a drive there because ultimately I can't pay you to want to learn. Okay? No, you got to have so, that. So how does this I, relate to no work face? Well, because it's like, okay, I'm working on a team surrounded by people who are, who are working on these things. And then so what we do is we try and support the learning. So it applies to this project. Mm-hmm. You know, again, do you have the resources and things that you need? Um, and so let, let me sort of uh, tie it back. It's like what happens then is, is people work work hard. And, you know, there's times when I, I think we're quite generous with, like, pragmatically, like, we're looking across the organization, like, somebody's really, there are times when people push and burn themselves out, and we try to be very attuned to that and discourage the behavior, uh, but then also, like, make sure people take time off when they go through that period, and we'll often award them with something that is really helpful, and like, hey, like, we're going to pay for a vacation, like, get out of here, like, you need to, to mm. reboot. How would you um, know that? Well, I think, um, and maybe this is something that's a little different too. Is uh-huh. uh, you know, we've always sort of invested in you know, uh, you know, an, an HR function. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I want to move it towards calling it people operations, right? But this notion of um, you know, so hey, we have this function, and so the function is talking to the managers and, and making it explicitly clear that you can do this at any time. Like spot bonuses are welcome, and so hmm. I, I think. I think recognizing people, it doesn't always have to be big, right? But recognizing not. people when they've done something right or, mm-hmm. or what have you is really good. And encouraging people to take time off because I want you to be fresh, right? So if you work really hard. And I get it. Like, fresh you, books. You know, like, uh, yeah, well, there we go. All right. But but, uh, but, but I, I think if you, you grind yourself into the ground or you feel like you need to yeah. play politics. So, so let me keep going on this and try and get to a little more uh, explicitly. We have a set of values okay. for fresh books. Um, you know, one of the things we do to really in, encourage the no work face environment, and I've been doing this for years, is we have a value called, um, you know, we call it honesty, but the definition, again, is more important. It's um, we are straightforward and we communicate directly. All right. Okay. A lot of people say that, but it's bullshit and they yeah. don't really mean it. So prove to and, me that you mean that. So, well, I mean, <laughs> here are the kinds of things that we do to, to make that happen is, um, you know, for years, at not every single company all-hands meeting, I'll get up and talk about building a go-direct culture uh-huh. and setting a series of expectations. Um, and those expectations, you know, read something like this. It's like, hey, you, what do you, if you do if you, somebody comes to you and is, you know, complaining about somebody else? Mm-hmm. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Right? Because this is the heart of politics, which is the heart of, like, workplace. Uh, and so if somebody comes to you complaining about somebody else, what do you do? And, you know, for me, it's like I might let them finish speaking, and then I'll ask you know, the first question I have: Has he have you told the other person this? Right? And if the answer is no, I'm like, why are you spending my time on this? Right? And and we really actively push people to 
resolve their own things directly. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people are conflict avoidant, so you want to coach that person. I have this issue. Okay, are you afraid to speak with them? All right, let me let me coach you up. But we set the expectation that there, there's no place for he said she said, <laughs> right? It's it's you're striving for it transparency. Yeah, and so on my senior leadership team, and this has only happened a handful of times over the years. Mm-hmm. If I have people in the room who cannot resolve something. You know, it's pretty simple. What I do is, okay, thanks. You too. Come back next week with your resolution. And they know that they have to get in the room and figure it out. And they don't want me there. Gosh knows they don't want me there. I, I don't want to be spending my time like that. So we set the expectation that, hey, you're adults and you can you can figure it out. And you know, and newer you know mm-hmm. newer managers or what have you maybe need some support to figure out how to approach a challenging conversation. But but we we really do try to live that. Hmm. Um, That's a good example. So, how do you think that spills over into people's lives, like in their, you know, marital relationships and their, uh, you know, their friendships and their their role in the community? That cultural value and the others that are important to you. Well, geez, um, that's that's hard to say. Yes, um, you know, I I wouldn't want to overreach. Um, Speculate. I I, I will. Um, let me take it a different direction and just say, um, you know, a few years ago, we had a bunch of people who uh, sort of felt it was important for us to focus on, um, you know, evolving ourselves. Like we're, we're a very, I would say, a very friendly workplace. And here, here's an example of this. Um, we actually, so our workplace, we have dogs are allowed to, to come to work um, if they adhere to a certain set of behavior. Like they have to behave well. And so we have a set of rules, and there's a little committee, and no, dogs behave well. But no pooping given, in the hallway? Well, at, at the bare minimum, that would be a okay. bare minimum. But All there's right. a, another, another bunch of you know, things that are pretty clear, and, and uh, you know, people are great. And so probably you know, a third of people who own dogs bring them to work. But you know, the wow. consequence of that is uh, we still have about 30, 30 dogs a day you know, in the office, which is Wow, which is great. that's and, um, crazy. And, well, and, and they're very well behaved. It, it, it works. Um, but we also have, um, you know, we had one woman um, who was very allergic to dogs. And, mm. you know, unbeknownst to me, um, the group of people went around and established, you know, a series of meeting rooms that were dog-free. Okay. A dog-free zone at FreshBooks to accommodate the needs of the person who was allergic. There we are. And so, you know, that to me was... She must have felt good about that. I, I, you know, I've never asked her. Um, uh, I, I hope so. I'll tell you, I do. Um, you know, it, it, it blows me away. And I remember when we hired You our, feel our, good about that because it demonstrates that people are caring about each other's health and things like that? Is that what you mean? Well, well how outstanding is that? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's so considerate. You can easily be like, well, like you're one person, you know, it's just math, like... You know, we're not all going to change our stuff because of, of you and we like the dogs or whatever. So um, but instead, you know, people went and said, we're going to earmark these rooms and they have a special sticker on them. And these are places where, you know, no dogs are permitted because we want the people who have this allergy to be able to meet in rooms that work for them. I um, I think that says a lot about a, a culture. And so but there's a level of empathy there mm-hmm. that is, um, you know, I like to think, you know, helps does spill out into people when they leave the office, if that makes sense. So, uh, Mike, uh, we were talking before the break about 
the impact of your uh, business philosophy of investing in the whole person and no work face uh, as, as something that you aspire to so that people can be themselves. Can you give us another example or two of what that means for people to be themselves when they are um, doing the work of FreshBooks? Uh, let, let me see what I can pull out of my hat here. Um, um, let me a small example, um, yeah. and I don't know if it's the best example, but I'm I'm just going to work with stuff that's okay. floating into my head here. So mm-hmm. um, we have nap rooms; they're not uncommon. Uh, but I will say, um, when you say you they're know, not uncommon, you mean in companies that are, they're not uncommon. Is that what you mean, or in- that, that's correct? Like they're getting there, but they're still relatively new. And I, I think here's the thing: here's why I think they're important. Uh, is because sometimes you're tired. Oh, right? you don't have to persuade me. We we talk a lot about naps on this show, and that's because I am a big believer in napping and how it really does help you to you know perform throughout the day. But please continue. I'm yeah. very interested. Well, and then it's it's um, it's like, hey, if if you think napping for 20 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour is the, the fastest path to you to actually be productive rather than staying awake and, you know, sort of zoning, like being a zombie through the day. Mm-hmm. Like, I want you to take a nap, right? And so we have a similar approach to we have only one role in the company that's really, you know, start time and end time driven. And it's it's because it's, you know, we're answering calls and emails and things of that nature. Yeah. But all the other roles are pretty flexible and always mm-hmm. have been on the timing. You know, hey, um, you can start at this time and end at that time and, and um, you know, and like so long as you're getting your work done, like we don't really care. And so I, I think that That's creates awesome. an environment where, <clears throat> you know, people are like, okay, I can use my own judgment. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sort of trusted to do that. Mm-hmm. As long as I'm getting my work done, you know, it's great. And my whole thing is, and, and the same, like I, you know, I, some people are really good about like filling in, like, Hey, I went to a doctor's appointment. I missed a day or whatever. I like, I honestly just philosophically, um, the, the only time I notice that people are around or not is if they're not performing, <laughs> right? Mm. <laughs> um, and uh, that, that's a personal statement. And I think, I mean, I think there's an ethos there of, of like, hey, trust that you're here to get the job done. And we'll talk about it if you're not. So you're saying between, the, use your judgment. The, the, uh, it's, it's your observation of their poor performance with respect to their results that, that kind of uh, – gives you uh your radar goes up and you start to notice that they're not around as much or is it it, in other words it doesn't flow in the in the opposite direction people aren't around and therefore you think they're not performing well it's definitely not that latter one it's more uh, it's more hey i would say there's two buckets but hey if there's results in your area Mm -hmm. um or um maybe you're manifesting some behaviors that are unwelcome Right. Um, hmm. And we got to talk about those. And like, I do think behaviors sort of matter. And we use our poor chest values to sort of govern those. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I would say, hey, if, if it's not getting done or you have a big project and you're not you know, on it, um, that, that would be cause for concern for me. But I would say if all the things are ticking, like, in, you know, like just like we trust you to figure out how to get it done. If that means you're in the office mm-hmm. working from home this morning, because like just just do it. Right, that's that's what you should be doing. And I think we were I know this is lots of people like that. I guess it, there's a, an element of flexibility in how you structure your time um, that uh, that I think, you know, tells people, OK, I can use my own judgment. I can kind of be myself. I don't have to come in and kind of 
spend time in the office just to show my face. Like mm-hmm. that that's that's a big part of work face from yesteryear if if you ask me. Yes. Uh well, and I agree 100%. So, um so you mentioned Porch Fest and I'm I'm keen to know more about what that is. Please explain. What is Porch Fest? <clears throat> Okay, you're getting a, a good chunk of my core philosophies here tonight. But well, that's the goal. To be, to be successful in business is not run a company, but to be successful in business, and I would say in life, <clears throat> you, you need uh, two things. If I had to boil it down, and I would say those two things are shared values and alignment with whomever you're working with, or friends with, or you know, partnered with, whatever it is. And uh, I think if you have those two things, you can do pretty much anything. Uh, but if you don't have either one, eventually, you know, the, the ball of yarn will unravel or the wheels will come off or mm-hmm. however you want to put it. And so um, PorchFest are – we have nine values at FreshBooks. PorchFest is an acronym for those nine values. I've talked to you on this call about uh, honesty, uh, which I gave you a definition for, mm-hmm. and also passion. But um, there are there are seven other values. And we we use those values and live those values and teach those values uh, to to indicate, hey, what are the behaviors we expect people to demonstrate day to day? And they become very helpful for reinforcing positive behaviors. Right. So back to, you know, I really I really um, I'll tell you, this wasn't always in my nature. <laughs> One of the things I've learned and I wholeheartedly believe and I try to demonstrate often as I can is. You, you want to catch people when they're doing something right and, and recognize that, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's a very powerful moment. And so we have a little, a simple little program, but anybody at FreshBooks can give anyone at FreshBooks a values card, and it's like a, a $25 gift certificate to you know, like Starbucks or Amazon. So or, if they're demonstrating whatever. any one of those core values, they can recognize a colleague for doing that. That's right. Anyone can give one to anyone, which I think is a you know highly democratizing thing. It's not just leaders who anoint this stuff; it's everybody. And we well, it's another you know, way to give people the sense of trust and and authority, and to act you know in a responsible way. That's right. That's right. And uh, you know, which which again, I think sort of leads to if if you don't need to figure out how you're supposed to behave. You're just, you know, expect that you're, there's a level of trust that you're here to do the right thing because you're here and you were sort of <laughs> chosen, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it leads to a number of things. And by the way, our customer service team, uh, really, in that first month when you're there, you, you start to see some of this. Is the team is not told how to serve customers per se. There's not like a formula. You're not reading scripts. Everyone sort of develops a bit of their own style. <clears throat> And uh, there's knowledge that we try to share so people have a common knowledge base to work off of. But um, what that does is it, you know, we, and we hire people who, who, you know, are motivated to do two things is, um, you know, kind of serve others and they get energy from that. And it's kind of a problem solving role. And, and sometimes that problem solving, like we don't, we don't say, you know, you can only do this or that. We say, you know, solve the customer's problem. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, you're trusted to figure out how to do that. And we've had people do a, a wide variety of things, um, you know, in service of our customers uh-huh. over the years. So uh, before we go further, though, please give us what that acronym uh, stands so, for. <laughs> all, all the OK. So we talked about passion, you know, ownership, which is, uh, you know, really around um, both, uh, you know, thinking long-term and, and sort of making okay. sure you pick up a piece of garbage if you're walking down the hallway mm-hmm. and you see it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 
R is for results. We need to get things done or none of this matters. Um, change is about uh, believing that change brings growth for you and the business. And so we, we welcome it, embrace it, and, and sort of don't fight it. We expect it and, mm. and roll with it. Um, honesty is about being straightforward and direct in our communication. Um, uh, F is for fun. Uh, we make time for fun. Uh, and I think that's actually a really important thing. So whether it's a team going for an offsite or like just like baking into the system, you actually have to slow down and think and make a little time for fun. Um, mm-hmm. Or you're sort of not living the values as a leader, I think is uh, actually an important, uh, important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, empathy, which I would you know sort of best describe as listening fully. So we listen, we care, we're supportive, we solve problems together. It does not mean we agree. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you know, one of the things I can't stand, and what we look for in our hiring are people who are really self-aware, and I, I would say have a capacity to listen at like 100%, as opposed to like, well, I'm listening like 70%, and my my fixed mindset, you know, closed mental model is stopping me from hearing the other 30%, which is probably where the, the nuggets are. It's hard so, to, em- em- to demonstrate a very empathy. Thing. Yes, Pardon me. It's hard to demonstrate empathy. Well, if you if you aren't able to listen fully, I, I sort of don't know how you would because yeah. you didn't hear hear the whole thing. So um, yeah, so that's uh, empathy. That's one. Pardon me. Uh, empathy. Yes, that's the E. Oh, yeah. So the S and T. Yeah. So here we go. There you go. Um, stretch, which is about effectively like planning goals that you're not comfortable getting to, and challenging yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, and then finally, T is trust, and, and it starts. It's hey, we give trust. To earn trust. So there's, you know, some places you go and you got to earn trust. It's hey, default, we've hired you. Mm-hmm. You're here, we trust you, um, and we're going to give you that trust by default as the first step in earning your trust. So, how does the system of um, people rewarding each other for demonstration of the porch fest, you know, the values? How does that uh, not create a kind of uh, competition among people that might be, I don't know, detrimental in some way? Oh, I've never uh, had to contemplate that question. Um, I, I mean, I guess my question is, why, why would it, right? Uh, people, I, I think what I have seen is when people are awarding a values card to somebody, um, it, it's coming from a genuine thing. If somebody did something you know, they weren't they weren't doing it to earn a values card. They were doing it almost by by nature, uh-huh. like it was their default behavior. Like, hey, how you served that customer, you know, was you know in- incredible. You you know, uh, you you know, really demonstrated our value of change by you know having this plan that you've been working towards today and, yeah. and actually changing that around to make this thing happen for this customer. So. Um, I, I have not – I don't think it's like a, a, a competition thing. I've never right. seen it manifest that way. That would uh, – you know, that would to me be – you know. That would surprise you based on your yeah. experience with this method. All right. I, I, so. I, I want to make sure I, I learn what a blind date is uh, at FreshBooks. Can you please explain? Right. Okay. So there was one thing, I, and I want to correct one thing. So, yes, yes we have had – we have put our our, – our, uh, our, uh, our fresh bookers uh, uh, set them up, quote unquote, on blind dates. Uh, I want to be clear: this was not a uh, required thing, and nor was it a date in a traditional sense. Not, and so, not about romance, you mean? 
No, it's not about romance. Okay. Um, I will. I will. I, maybe it's like career <laughs> romance and loving what you do. Okay. But, uh, let's 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 come back to uh, come back to that for a second. So okay. we have a, a woman in our customer service department who is actually our first uh, support rock star that we hired. Her name's Grace, and she because everyone comes to support for the first month. Uh, has met everybody who's joined the company, knows everybody. She's like a, a cultural fixture for us in, in many ways, and she is a wonderful human being. Um, one fine day when we were probably 200 employees or something like this, um, she would be talking with people around the building and realizing that while she knew everybody, people in other departments didn't always know each other. And so she said, hmm, you know, what can I do about this? And so she just fired off an email one day and said, hey, you know, who wants to go on a blind date, right? And if you read the email, it was like, let me know if you'd like to meet somebody from across the company that you don't know. Mm -hmm. I'll play matchmaker. And, um, and and effectively what it became is like, basically have a cup of coffee with three or four other people. Um, and, you know, from other departments who I'm confident you, you probably don't know, or at least you won't know everybody there. And just learn a little more about who they are, what they do, why they're here. And, you know, to me, when I think about the system and how cultures work and why people stay, mm-hmm. it's really around, you know, sort of the place, you know, again, back to work phase. If you show up and you don't know anybody and you're in like, you know, fear mode, like kind of going from your desk to the yep. door every day and like half terrified, like that's not a great place to live. But if you, you know, feel like connected to every function in the business, like, oh, I know so-and-so in accounting, yep. I know so-and-so in marketing then you know the whole place feels smaller and safer and and the way you get those connections is through frankly interpersonal interconnection yes. and and history right and so what the blind dates program was about was basically about accelerating that and we had about mm-hmm. uh, three three quarters of the company participate over sort of five rounds of her doing this matchmaking many people multiple times such as myself and and um uh, you know, 100% of people have said they'd like to do it again. That's and, awesome. Uh, you know, so it, it, it was is a hack. I call these like culture hacks. Like, yes. how do we keep the place feeling small? And you have to work at it, right? I can. We've no, done of a number course of you things. do. Like, L- let me yeah. just jump in here, though, and 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 make an observation about this blind date process, which I think is fantastic. Uh, I've talked a number of times on the show about um, Yale's Timothy Snyder, who's written about tyranny. Uh, and one of the ways he describes he's he's a he's a scholar of of the rise of tyrannical regimes in the 20th century, and it's important knowledge for us today. Uh, and one of the things that he has uh, written about in his wonderful book on tyranny, <clears throat> the 20 things you can do to fight it, is to make contact with people you don't know, to engage in small talk. Those interpersonal connections that you're talking about here, Mike, that you foster through this intervention, Kate's intervention in, in, in forming these blind dates. So even though you didn't want to stretch that far earlier when I asked you about how what you do in your company ripples out into the world beyond, I would suggest, you don't have to agree with me, but I would suggest that what you're doing here is helping people to see the value of those interpersonal connections with those they are not familiar with, and you're building bridges, and you're making human-to-human connections, which is not only good for your company, but I would bet that that uh, then translates into their doing similar kinds of acts, not all of them, but some of them, in the world beyond your company. What do you think? 
I would like to agree. I could tell you about a whole bunch of ways we've doubled down and like offer, you know, we're doing some work right now, just, you know, inviting fresh bookers to a series of, um, you know, you can choose to go and, you know, most uh, of the company is, is coming to uh, things on like power and privilege and, and these kinds mm-hmm. of things to understand, you know, and I, I would say, hey, I'm very much curious myself learning about um, some of these concepts, but, you know, to create the kind of environment where you just have way more empathy for where people are coming from, yes. right? Uh, and so uh, it, it's, you know, I, I think there's a lot we can do in the workplace mm-hmm. to sort of build, you know, try to build better humans. It, it's opt-in. Mm-hmm. Like, no one's being forced to do these things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is, uh, you know, I've heard people say this, I guess, now that I think about it, but it's like, you know, you spend so much time here. Like, why, why can't we be, um, you know, a source of sort of good in the world? And, you know, I, I'm happy every time one of our employees says, you've ruined me for customer service because, you know, when I when I go out to a restaurant or a store, it doesn't live up to what we do at FreshBooks. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's wonderful. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but I, you know, I, I, think, I think you can have a lot of influence on people outside the building. I don't presume to know what all of it is. I of hope course. it's, you know, largely positive. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, this is, uh, we spend a lot of time at work. Um, you know, I, I believe businesses can be a source of good. And I get frustrated sometimes when people, I think, of business as evil. Uh, uh, yes. And, and it seems to me that what you're doing is, is, uh, is a countervailing force in your world. Let me just ask you, what, what do you like to do for fun that is beyond your wonderful company? Um, well, I have a, a family that I, I love, both my, uh, my immediate, uh, family that I, you know, my wife who I've married and my, my children. So that, that's, that is, uh, increasingly where a lot of my time and energy goes, but I have wonderful, uh, you know, sort of extended family, whether that be my siblings and my, my mom, who's, uh, fortunately still with us. And, and so, uh, so and then cousins and stuff. So family's you, a big part. How do you figure, um, what's your best advice for CEOs trying to stay connected to their especially their, their spouse and children? Uh, I'm going to give you the answer for my mom, and then we can go to spouse and children. Because um, okay. I think about it, is it something that makes the place feel a little more like you don't need the work face? I have breakfast with my mom every Friday. She, um, I, she, she I, So she doesn't have to drive. I, I actually just send like a lift, a cab over to her. Uh-huh. Cab comes over. She comes to my house to eat breakfast. We then walk to work. So she comes to me with to me to the office every Friday morning. She usually hangs around, has a cup of coffee, says hi to some people. It's a great way to make the place feel, you know, how, how do you have work face when you're meeting you know, somebody's mom or, you know, that they're bringing their mom to work. Like it just, it changes the dynamic. So um, as for um, the family, yes. I, you know, I, I would say, geez, I don't know. I, I think, you know, parents need to try to make time to be with each other because life is so busy. I will say like, I really don't look at my phone during meals or like, mm-hmm. I, I think just you need to be able to shut it off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or remove yourself from the room. Like it's better to be out yep. of the room mm-hmm. uh, and on the phone than it is to be in the room and on the phone. And so, absolutely, um, that's that's you know I, I shut it off sort of Friday night and pick it up you know Sunday evening mm-hmm. uh, and and really try to you know and, and if I have to do some things on the weekend or what have you I'll do them. But I I, you know, I don't really want to do them around uh, the family. And then I'm and then I'm can just be present with with my family. And that that's what I want. 
And that's, of course, what they want and value too, no doubt. And I agree 100% with your strategy of uh, stepping out rather than being conflicted about where you really are when you're with them if you're on the phone. So that's, that's great advice, Mike. I appreciate your sharing that and uh, the many other wonderful stories and uh, practices that you've described about FreshBooks. Um, how do you hold yourself accountable for acting in a way that's in alignment with your own values? Can you give me that in two sentences? <laughs> uh, <laughs> great, great question. I, I, I think a big part of it is, um, you know, surround yourself with people who are going to tell you if you don't, mm-hmm. uh, and then maybe go one further and, you know, seek out the feedback if you're unsure. So I'm pretty good about saying, Hey, geez, like, I don't know if I you know, got this right or here's how I feel I came across, which was wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I mean, I'm sort of maybe, uh, in some respects more self-critical than, than some. And, and so I'll bring that into the room, maybe one-on-one after a meeting or something like that. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, Try and get for feedback it. from outside my head. Um, and, you know, sometimes people are like, what are you talking about? Don't worry about so it. So you um, actively seek it, and that, and that is key. Mike, uh, how can people find out more about FreshBooks? Um, well, our website uh, has a whole bunch of information at freshbooks.com. Awesome. Mike McDermott, thank you so much for joining us uh, and for sharing your wisdom about your experiences with FreshBooks and beyond. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Stu. I hope you found my conversation with the CEO of FreshBooks, Mike McDermott, to be thought-provoking and that you got some good ideas for what you might do to foster a culture at work in which people don't have to don a work face and where there is a greater mutual understanding among people. So here is a challenge for you, an invitation. Why not try one of his culture hacks, adapted as it must be, to your local setting, your group, your organization. Could you set up a blind date arrangement to connect people who don't know each other? Would it be possible to implement a spot reward that someone might give to someone else when they see particularly laudable behavior? Maybe you've got another idea for some other initiative that might help to increase empathy across and within your group, your organization. Let me know what you discover if you try something like this or tell me about a creative concept you've seen work already in your workplace. I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch with me at friedman.wharton.upenn.edu or find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132, Wharton Business Radio. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. For more about this episode's guest and about previous guests, visit workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, Check out our website, TotalLeadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership. Be a better leader, have a richer life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate it on iTunes, and share it with your friends, family, 
and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.